Welcome to the Susquehanna Valley Baptist Pulpit, preaching a life worth living, abundant life in Christ. And now the message. Well, it's good to be back with you, and it's good to have you here to be back with me. How about that? I like that. Turn to the book of Mark, if you would, please. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. I've been looking forward to hearing Brother Wells preach, and uh, praise the Lord for that. And I know you've got your Bibles. You're finding Mark. Let's see, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Mark. There you go. All right. I want you to notice the story beginning in verse 17. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There's none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not, or do not kill, do not steal. Do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these things have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. And said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. Now the text tonight comes from verse 21. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. I want to preach for a little bit on this theme. Jesus loves me. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now in the name of the Lord Jesus, and I beg you again tonight for the filling of the Holy Ghost of God. Lord, may we put on our thinking caps and allow our hearts to follow suit as well as we listen to the Word of God. May we allow it to do a work in our lives. May we see your Word for what it says. Lord, I pray that the noise of all the outside world and the thoughts and the arguments that are going on all around us in our country, may they be left outside the door, and may this be a real truth encounter, us with you. God, I do pray that you'll move upon our hearts. In Jesus' name I ask it, amen. Jesus and love, they go together, don't they? I still love the song. I love to hear it sung. Jesus loves me, this I know. I think of the words of Paul when he said he loved me and he gave himself for me. As a matter of fact, some form of the word love, like love, loves, loveth, and so on, appear 220 times in our New Testament. 220 times out of 260 chapters, you have some mention of the word love. Now, the reality is the overwhelming majority of the time it's used in the New Testament is referring to our responsibility to love, to love correctly. Or there are statements of people loving others or perhaps even loving things. Strangely, the first use of the word love in the New Testament is in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 where the scripture says, Thou shalt love thy neighbor. But in the first three books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you only find one statement of Jesus loving anybody. And it's right here in Mark chapter 10. 
Even in Matthew's account of the story of the rich young ruler, he doesn't mention what Mark mentions right here. And that is that Jesus beholding him loved him. Now, I don't have any doubt about that whatsoever. Now, to be sure, after that, you get into the book of John and you got a number of statements about his love. In John eleven five, it says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. In Jesus, or in John chapter 11 and verse six, uh, uh, 36, when the Jews were at uh, Lazarus' death, they noted, behold, how he, that's Jesus, loved him, that's Lazarus. In uh, John 13, 23, we read of the disciple whom Jesus loved. And of course, that was the apostle John. That phrase is used four more times in the book of John. Jesus told his disciples in John 13, 34, As I have loved you, that ye also love one another. And then again in John 15, 9, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. And then again in John 15, 12, he says, I have loved you. Now, to be sure, Jesus spoke of the love of God a number of times. But it's kind of odd that you go through the book of Acts with the church going out to win the world. We do not have one recorded time in the book of Acts where the disciples ever preached, God loves you, or Jesus loves you. Now think about that in the first several years of the New Testament church. 3,000 saved on the day of Pentecost. There were messages of judgment, but no place was stated, God loves you. The gospel is plainly given, but it's not said, God loves you. Jesus loves you. You don't read that in the book of Acts. Now, before you draw conclusions on that, we'll say more about that before we're done, okay? So the church going out to win the world had a very clear message. To be sure, the epistles declare not only the love of God, but they also declare the love of the Lord Jesus Christ for us. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution? Yes, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5, 14, Paul said, for the love of Christ constraineth me. It was personal to the Apostle Paul who would say, who loved me and gave himself for me. In Ephesians 5, 25, he declares, For husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5, Him that loved us and washed us with his own blood. I believe as you read the scripture, I have a message that I preach, what would Jesus really do? And it's got about 10 points to that particular message about what would Jesus really do. And most of their points, most people, who talk about Jesus, who are parts of churches today, don't like those points. The reality is, most people really do not have a clue who Jesus is. And it's because we have come up, we have come up in our own imagination with a long-haired, soapy, soupy Jesus who doesn't mind anything. And nothing could be further from the truth than that. But so we want to notice some things about the misunderstanding of the love of Christ and the love of God. And as real and as powerful as it is, we see some examples for us about the love of God. By the way, Matthew, Mark, and Luke 
were the first Gospels that were written for man. The book of John, which says so much about the love of God, wasn't written until sometime about 90 to 100 A.D., 60 years after Jesus died on the cross. Now, that's interesting. So when they were reading, even from the first three Gospel accounts that they got, they only got that one reference about Jesus loving anyone as far as the Word of God that they were given is concerned. I want you to notice some things, first of all, about the love of Jesus and the truth. We see that right here in this passage. Think with me now. He's having a confrontation with this young man. The young man calls him good master. And he says, why do you call me good? There's none good but one. He was trying to get the young man to understand who he is, that he's God. Jesus Christ is God. Isaiah 9, 6, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That's Jesus. He is God. John 1, 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. When was God made flesh? In the person of Jesus Christ. He is God. When Philip said to Jesus in John chapter 14, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. He said to Philip, he said, Have I been so long time with you, and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. How sayest thou then, show us the Father? Jesus Christ is God. That's just a few references. There are many, many more. So he tried to introduce the young man to who he really is, that he's God, that that term good master had a very true meaning with regards to the Lord Jesus Christ in the reality of the words. And then he tried to show the man his sin. The Bible says the law is our schoolmaster that it might bring us to Christ. So Jesus mentions commandments, and he mentions all the commandments that deal with man's relationship with man. And the young man says, I've kept all those things from my youth up, liar. Liar, liar, all right? He failed in that one. He didn't get it. He still didn't see his sinfulness. If you go out soul winning, you'll find a lot of people today that don't believe that they're really that bad of sinners, that they're basically pretty good people and they don't deserve to die and go to hell, and yet they do. And so then Jesus responded, by the way, with the next statement he's going to make. He lumped the first four commandments really all together. The commandments that deal with the relationship with God. After all, in the Shema, or Deuteronomy chapter 6, when we have the great commandment that Jesus quotes in Matthew chapter 22 and verses 37 through 39, he was asked the question, what's the great commandment? He said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, and all thy might. This man had a warped love. He loved his money. He loved his possessions. He loved what he had. So Jesus gave the practical application to those first commandments. And he said, then go and sell all that you have and come and follow me. And the young man went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. Now think with me here for just a moment. The Bible says here in verse 21, Then Jesus beholding him loved him and said unto him, Since Jesus is God, did not Jesus know that when he would say what he was going to say, that the young man would leave. Didn't he know that ahead of time? But he said it anyway. Now, why would he say that if he loved him? 
I'm going to tell you why. Because Jesus would never compromise truth for love. His love was always wedded to truth. You try to ease up the message because you say you love them and you don't want them to hurt. You don't want them to be offended. The reality is you only love yourself. You don't love them because if you love them, you would give them the truth. The truth is what people need to hear. We find, for instance, in John chapter 6, verses 50 through 60, we find Jesus saying some of his most difficult sayings in that 10-verse passage. It was so difficult that many of his own disciples murmured at it. So Jesus called attention to that with his disciples. He said, doth this offend you? What and if he shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? And the Bible says in verse 66, from that time, Many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Didn't Jesus know that when he said that, that those people would leave? Yes, he did. Then why did he do it? Because he will never compromise truth for the sake of feelings. We need to understand something about the love of God. He's true. He's holy. He's righteous. He loves truth. And for those who don't love truth, if it offends them in some way, then, dear friend, they're just not ever going to understand the God of the Bible. Truth. This is vital. Truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. As far as we know in the book of Acts, they did not preach the love of God. But they had thousands saved. You read Peter's message on the day of Pentecost... 3,000 people came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. What did he preach? Well, he preached who Jesus was. He preached about their sin. He preached about judgment. He preached about what Jesus did to pay for their sins, and he told them how to get saved. But he never said, God loves you, never said, Jesus loves you. Now, God did love them. You understand? Jesus did love them, but he didn't tell those lost sinners that. They needed to come to the place of conviction over their sin and the Spirit of God moved upon them with that conviction so they cried out, men and brethren, what must we do? You get to the first part of Acts chapter 4. 5,000 men get saved. This is phenomenal. But we have no record of them saying to the men, Jesus loves you today. The reality is when you tell people today I'm talking about in 2022 America, that God loves them. Most of them think, why, of course he does. I'm very lovable. Why would God have anything against me? As a matter of fact, modern society's idea of love comes from Hollywood. It's known as lust. So when you tell them you love them, hey, this is a people that love pizza. This is a people that love football teams and baseball teams and Ballpark Franks, hot dogs. These are people that love cars. They love every. They don't have a clue what the word love really means. They know nothing about it. So when you tell them God loves you, they're thinking about their Hollywood definition of love rather than the biblical definition of love. God is not going to compromise his truth in his love for you. He's going to give you the truth because for a captive, it is the truth that makes him free. 
You say, preacher, I'm going to have to think about that for a while. I know. Good. Think about it. Understand it. Jesus never compromised truth for the lost to get them saved. He always told them the truth. I want to see people under conviction. You realize that you can, you can talk people in to walking an aisle. I want the Holy Spirit of God to convict them of their sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, because that's what the Holy Spirit of God does according to the words of the Lord Jesus. When He, the comforters, come, He will approve the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. The reality is, if there's someone here that's lost today, you better be concerned about your sinful condition because you will die and go to hell as you are and you deserve it. That's the truth. You come to Jesus and he will give you eternal life and you get heaven for your eternal destiny. God, the God who is not willing that any should perish, offers you eternal life. But because you've sinned, judgment is coming. Now, Jesus paid that judgment on the cross for you. You accept his payment, and you get eternal life. Thank God. So, Jesus loving the lost. But then we also seem to be confused today about Jesus' love and our trials. Anybody here gone through any hard times? Raise your hand. Anybody here had a hard time? Well, if you're breathing, you've had a hard time. That is part of life. Everybody has hard times. Even in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus talked about the the wise man and the foolish man, the wise man who built his house upon the rock, and the foolish man that built his house upon the sand, both of them had the storms of life. There was no difference in the storm. It was what their foundation was. Foundation of the wise man was he heard the word of God and did it. Unfortunately, the foundation of sand that the foolish man did was he heard the word of God and didn't do it. But what about those trials? God knows about the trials in your life. Think about Job. God knew all about that. Now, one thing Job did not know when those trials came along, he did not know that he was God's champion in this argument with Satan because Satan accused all believers, all followers of God, of only following God because he was good to them. I can't imagine the pain of losing 10 children. I can't imagine the pain of losing one. There may be somebody here who has. But think about losing all of your children at one time. I mean, forget losing your fortune. I'd give away my fortune any day for the sake of my children, wouldn't you? But then lost his children. Then he lost his health. And he saw his wife break. I believe his wife was a godly woman. But she said, curse God and die. Hey, she just had 10 children die. She had just lost all that they had, and now it looks like her husband's going to die a horrible death. His body is wrecked with pain and sickness, and she cries, curse God and die. I know a lot of Christian ladies, unfortunately, that have had far less troubles than that, who have been willing to leave church because, God, why has he done that to me? Matter of fact, when Job speaks to his wife, he says, you speak like one of the foolish women. He didn't say, that's the way you always talk. He was shocked at what she had to say. By the way, God also allowed her to have 10 more children. And I don't believe he was getting even with her. I believe it was a blessing for her. Amen. 
Man, that's good stuff. I like that. Turn over to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. I love the way this is put. Scripture says, beginning in verse 1, Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus, of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment, wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now look at this very carefully. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And then it says, When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick. What's the therefore, therefore? The therefore is referring to this fact that Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. All right, now I want you to get this. So because he loved them, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, what did he do? Notice, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. He loved Lazarus. He loved Mary. He loved Martha. He hears Lazarus is sick, and he stays where he's at for two more days. Why? He loved them. Well, I don't understand. I've got this problem and, and I prayed and I cried out to God. And he hadn't come. Why hasn't he come yet and, and gotten me out of this? Maybe it's because he loves you. But you don't know how much it hurts, preacher. He loves you. Jesus knew what was about to take place. When he gets there, Lazarus had been dead for four days. Mary and Martha had been mourning. And you wonder how many times did they say, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? We love him. Why hasn't he been here? Where's Jesus? There are a lot of Christians that have said a whole lot worse things than that. As a matter of fact, when Jesus shows up, Martha comes to him and the first thing out of her mouth, she says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother not died. I get the impression she was a little put out. As a matter of fact, when Jesus goes in to see Martha and she falls at his feet, even though her position is different than what uh, Martha's was, her words are exactly the same. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother had not died. You know, I've learned, I'm sure you've heard this, Pastor, before, when you have somebody come up to you with a complaint, and then somebody else comes with exactly the same complaint, you know they've been talking. And I know Mary and Martha had been talking. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother had not died. Well, why didn't he get there till then? He loved them. If you're going through some kind of... It might be cancer. It might be some other physical ailment. It might be a financial ailment. You say, where's God? I don't understand. Why, why is God allowing this? Why is this taking place? He loves you. He loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. We seem to think that God is only good 
If he gets us out of all of our problems, then we'd be spoiled little brats running around thinking that God is only up there to see to it that we're happy throughout life. I'm going to be happy in eternity. There'll be no trials. There'll be no cancer. There'll be no death. There'll be no sorrow. There'll be no pain. But here there will be. And I have a promise. He will never leave you nor forsake you. With all that Job went through, think about it, because he went through it, millions upon millions of people have been comforted over the years. It counted for something. I believe God loved him. Even though in his depth, the depth of his agony, sometimes he wondered, Job did, if he'd even just served God in vain, then it counted for nothing. But then he'd bounce back and he'd say, I know that my Redeemer liveth. And he shall stand in the latter day upon the earth. And after my skin worms have destroyed this body, yet in my flesh will I see God. He vacillated a little bit there. He had a little trouble with it. But I want you to mark this. In that story, by the way, in that story, when God comes on the scene in chapter 37 and rebukes the three friends... In chapter 38, he turns to Job. He does not say to Job, we don't have time to read it tonight, but he does not say to Job, Job, I know you've had it tough. I've hurt for you. I've wept for you, Job. I've wept for you as you went through the agony of losing your children. I hurt for you as you lost all that you had. Job, I, 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 Job, he doesn't say any of that. Job goes to him and says, Job, you've justified yourself. Instead of me. And then he asked him 84 questions. Where were you, Job, when? And for those 84 questions, he does not even wait for Job to answer. He's not getting in touch with Job's feelings. He's getting in touch with truth. Truth. You realize our church is supposed to be a truth encounter, not a feeling encounter. I have people come to me all the time. Oh, they've been hurt. They've had trouble. They've had family problems. They've had this and that. I don't want you to think I'm a hard guy. I'm not a hard. Well, maybe I am. Uh, Maybe I am. And they'll tell me about how this person wronged them and that person wronged them and mama didn't do this and dad didn't do that. And oh, it's just crushed their spirit. I say, you know, I don't even need to hear all that because I can't change any of it. You can't change any of it. All you can do is give yourself a different life now. And how are you going to do that? To get wedded to God's truth. To do what God tells you to do. Well, I've been hurting. Somebody hurt my feelings. So I stopped going to church. What's wrong with you? That's the place you need to be. You need to be hearing the word of God. You need to be among God's people. You need to be serving God. Show the world you've got something greater than the world's God. You can make it through the trials and the troubles. Jesus loves you in your trials. But those trials can be severe. You know, in first, uh, our second Corinthians chapter 11, you have, uh, turn over there if you would, please. You get an idea of some, of some of what the Apostle Paul went through. Beginning in verse 23, Paul gives a testimony of his service. And he's doing that because the Corinthians needed to hear it. But notice in verse 23 of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more. 
and labors more abundant and stripes above measure and prisons more frequent and deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. You know, the only beating I've ever got was from my daddy and I deserved it. It's the only beating I ever got. Here's Paul serving Jesus. Five times he received 39 stripes. Right there, that left me behind. I have trouble, I have trouble identifying here with the Apostle Paul. I've never been through anything like that. I can't imagine. I mean, that's not a daddy whipping a kid with a belt. This is a grown man with that cat of nine tails, brings scourging them down on his back, but he's not done. He says, thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. That's in Acts chapter 14 at Lystra. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness, in painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. He said, preacher, why'd you read that? So that you get an idea what it cost Paul to serve God like he did. You get to chapter 12, think of all that Paul had gone through. And by the way, he's going to eventually have his head chopped off. Notice you get down to verse 7. He says of chapter 12, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Because God had allowed him to write scripture. You know, God God resists the proud. He giveth grace unto the humble. He wants to use Paul. But you know, for instance, some Sunday school teacher has a record day in their Sunday school class. Three kids get saved. And as far as teaching, they're not any good for the next three weeks because they're full of pride. They think they actually did something. Here's Paul. The churches he started, the scripture he wrote, and God wanted to keep using him. So he allowed the messenger of Satan to buffet him. Now notice verse 8. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Don't refer there yet. Here's Paul. All that service. He has dedicated his life. He's not watched one minute of TV. He's not been on the internet. He's been in jail. He's been beaten. He's been shipwrecked. He's gone without food. All of his life was spent serving Christ. He could say, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And that was completely the truth. That was the life of the Apostle Paul. And now he's got a problem in his life and he says, God, take it away. God, take it away. God, take it away. And God says, Paul, my strength is made perfect in weakness. He couldn't get his prayer answered. So how does he respond? What's the point of serving God? Here's what he says. He says, most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmity, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities, in persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then 
am I strong. With a life so totally dedicated to God, he has one thing he asked God to do for him. God says, no, Paul. My grace is enough for you. And Paul says, hallelujah. That's fine if you'll just keep using me. That's all right. You see, we need to understand Jesus' love for us as we go through trials. This is a little different than Hezekiah. You remember Hezekiah, Isaiah comes into him. God had told him, you go tell the king that uh, to get his house in order, he's going to die. And so he tells the king that, and Hezekiah gets down beside his bed, faces the wall, and starts crying to God, haven't I been a good king? Oh, God, don't let me die. Oh, God, let me live, please. And before Isaiah can get out of the palace, God says, go back and tell him I've heard his prayer. I'll give him 15 more years. Now, we already had what God's will was. You tell him to put his house in order, he's going to die. That was God's will. He prayed, he earnestly prayed. Remember, without faith it's impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He's going to get something that was not God's will. He gets 15 more years. During that 15 years, he has a son. That son is named Manasseh, who became the most wicked king in the entire history of the southern kingdom. All of Israel would have been better off had Hezekiah died when God wanted him to die. I got news for you. All of us here are not going to live to the same age. Some are going to die as young adults. Some will die as middle-aged adults. Some will die as older people. You've got stuff facing you you don't even know about yet, and thank God for that. But you understand this, I don't care what the trouble is. With God's will and the love of God to sustain you and to be with you, you can trust him. Jesus loves you in your trials, whether he pulls you out or not. By the way, eventually you understand you are going to die. For as it is appointed unto man once to die, that's a promise in the word of God. So Jesus loves us in truth. Jesus loves us in our trials. Jesus also loves us in our obedience. Turn over to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. I told the preacher that I was going to be nice tonight. Then I changed my mind. No, I'm being nice. This is great, man. We're dealing with truth. This this is good for all of us. It it helps us to understand these things. I want you to notice in chapter 14, night before the crucifixion, the Lord Jesus Christ giving instruction to his disciples, look at verse 21, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him. Verse 23, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, He will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Verse 24. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. 
I want you to understand, friend, about your love for him. If you're not going to obey him, it is because you do not love him. And I say that on the authority of the word of Jesus Christ. You know, we're so quick to doubt whether or not he loves us. But I got news for you. Most of us don't love him very much. When we get challenged by the preacher to do what God says in the word, well, I don't see where that's so important. It has nothing to do with what you see. It has to do with what God said. As a matter of fact, notice this. I want you to notice obedience and love. Go over to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. Notice verses 2 and 3. He says, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. Now get this, it's a definition verse. For this is the love of God. What is the love of God? That we keep his commandments. And his commandment. Isn't that interesting that one of the last books of the Bible, one of the last books of the New Testament, one of the last chapters of the New Testament, we're still talking about commandments? We know that we love God when we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. I I have a message that I preach, the one verse in the Bible that doesn't seem to be true. And I say that, and it comes from that verse, by the way, because there are so many Christians who thinks that it is a torture and depressive, the thought of having to obey God. But you see, in his precepts, there is liberty. That's what the psalmist tells us. There's freedom in the word of God. He loves us in our obedience. You go to one of these gospel singings and somebody will get up there in the microphone and say, Clap if you love Jesus. And Jesus says, obey me if you love Jesus. I, you've seen those <laughs> bumper stickers um, that say that clap if you love Jesus. Someone else did one that had uh, that clap. Or I think it was honk if you love Jesus. Had the honk scratched out and it said tithe if you love Jesus. Anybody can honk. See, do you, do you understand a little bit more about the love of Christ? And here's the problem that we have with young people today. We're more interested in their reasons for disobedience than we are the fact of their disobedience. Amen. So we went, well, why did you do that? Well, as we saw last night, there's no good reason to disobey God. No good reason to disobey God. You want God's blessing, then walk according to his word. It's why he gave it. But today we seem to be raising up a group of whining, sniveling children who are going to stay children through all their adult life because they think it is all about their feelings. I'm dealing with a young man right now. A young man, not in my state, but a young man who had some terrible hurts done to him when he was young. And so he's bitter on God, and it's hurt him, and he feels bad about it and all that. And I told him, and and by the way, for people who want to help me, he said, well, I I don't want to see a Bible counselor. I I don't want to talk to a pastor of a fundamental church. I don't, why? Well, because I I have been hurt. No, no, no. Everybody gets hurt. Don't give me that nonsense. Everybody's been hurt. What you need is truth, and you need to start right here. Now, if you want to stay hurt, you can go ahead and stay hurt. But that's on you. You turn to truth, and you can get over the hurt. But as long as you're going to stay in your feelings, there's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof of the ways of death. I hate to use 
somebody from Hollywood as an example. Many of you know the name Bob Newhart. On YouTube, he has a sketch, a clip. Here's a, a lady that comes to him, and he tells her, he says, uh, the charge will be $5 for five minutes. And he says, you won't need any more than that. That will be enough. Now what's your problem? And so she's kind of excited about that. She said, okay, here's my problem. I'm afraid. I just have great fear about being buried alive in a box. It is such a great fear. She says, when I get to thinking about it, I can't drive, I can't work, I can't do anything else. It scares, I can't go drive in a tunnel because I am so afraid of being buried alive in a box. It controls everything I do. He said, okay. He said, I think we can take care of that. He says, um, two words. She said, do I need to write this down? He said, no, most people can remember two words. I, I think you can remember two words. Okay, I'm ready. What are they? He said, Stop it! She's, what? Stop it! Well, I don't get it. He says, you know, two words, simple, I think anybody can understand, and you'd be surprised how many people respond just exactly like you have responded. But just stop it! Well, I don't think I like this. Stop it! She said, but my mom, when I was young, we don't go there. Just stop it. Now, uh, listen to me, folks. I don't care. It's not the feelings. Feelings mess us up. Truth. Truth is what we need. Jesus, who is the way, the what? Truth and the life. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Yes, Jesus loves the lost, loves them so much, he'll tell them the truth no matter the outcome. He will not compromise truth to win the lost. In your trials, yes, no matter how much it hurts, no matter how overwhelming it may seem, he still loves you, and he is not working necessarily like you're thinking but he is working and it will always be to the glory of God you can trust him I mean look what he went through for you I believe you can trust him he suffered your death you deserved hell but he died for you anyway and he rose from the dead three days later what a wonderful savior that we have and therefore I ought to walk I ought to walk in obedience to the truth because it shows that I love Let's pray. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us, please write us at P.O. Box 126-541, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, 17112. And visit our website at www.svbcpa.org. Until next time.